So we asked a basic question, and it was voiced in a famous way in an important book in the 11th century, a man named Anselm, who said, why God became man. And we can ask it this way, what's it all about? So years ago, when Alan traveled Europe, right out of college, she arrived in Florence, Italy. She was planning on seeing Michelangelo's The David, but when she actually glimpsed that masterpiece for the first time, face to face with it, she was overwhelmed and involuntarily sat down in awe, looking at it, in amazement at the craftsmanship, the thoughtfulness, and the vision of that statue. But then her mind went on to think, well, what must that say about Michelangelo? What kind of genius is he to do something like this? And at Christmas season, in a much, much greater way, we think of the wonder of who Jesus is, and it's manifest in the magnitude of what he came into our world to accomplish for us. And so that fourth stanza of once in royal David's city gets at that place. It says, our eyes at last will see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone. And that glorious son of God became man born vulnerable and helpless in a manger in Bethlehem in order to redeem us from our sins and lead us to the place where he's going to be with him. And Greg read Isaiah 9 and it adds beautifully by saying he became man in order to establish and uphold an eternal kingdom of justice, peace, and righteousness that's going to keep on increasing, getting better and better, and to enable you and me in him to be a part of it. And the final stanza of joy is dawned is another beautiful description. God the Son became man, a babe in Bethlehem, a new Adam, our mighty champion, to ransom us from our sins, to reconcile us to God, and in this way become the Lord of history, to hold it all in his hands and to direct all things toward his glorious goal of realizing all the amazing benefits that he accomplished for us, all his saving work on our behalf. So what's it all about? Well, this is it's all, what it's all about. It's the magnitude of his work. And so the passage we're going to read today, Revelation 21, 1 through 8, wonderfully enriches this when it says, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What is it all about? Well, this passage is one of the best to say the glorious Son of God lowered himself to become man, lowered himself underneath the law, lowered himself down into the cross, down further into death in order to satisfy sin's curse in our place and set in motion something new, open up for us something radically new, a whole new creation, a new heaven and a new earth He did it so that he could return one day in glory at the end of history and purify this old, fallen, broken world in fire. And from that material, from that wreckage, from that salvage, which he loves, he loves his creation, even this old one, make all things new. This world, but new. New cities and cultures and Mountains and forests and lakes and rivers now perfected and glorified, but no sea, he says in Revelation 21. And it doesn't mean there's no vast, majestic ocean teeming with life, but rather sea as a symbol, sea as symbolizing man in his turbulent chaos, self-destructive chaos of sin. See as the source of danger and the cause of distance one from the other for the same word as was no more is also in death passing away. It's symbolized. And so if you want to know what heaven will be like, what Jesus came to earth to open up for us, we look around us and we imagine what this world would be like free of curse. And Jesus came so that one day he could command heaven to descend to earth and transform it. So that finally the Lord's prayer would be fully answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The new Jerusalem, the holy city, will descend one day. For our God is a God who descends. He's a God of grace. And salvation never was about us climbing up to God. It was always about God coming down to us. And in the manger, we see the proof and the epitome of this in Jesus's incarnation as one of us. In the holy city, the new Jerusalem that descends to earth is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. For the city is especially the people It's the bride of the lamb, the church. Ephesians 5 says Jesus came to give his life for the bride in order to wash her clean and to present her to himself without blemish, without spot and stain of sin 
And now the wife, the lamb, enjoys the love and the intimacy with him. And the goal of all this is that God himself would dwell with us. For God announces from the throne, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And that's the heart of all the Bible's promises, that God would dwell in the same roof with you. And because Jesus came and dwelt in a manger, it's the why Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. It's why Jesus says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the point. And all the effects of the curse will pass away. Death and tears and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. However, their opposite will flow in in abundance. Abundant life and joy and wholeness and fulfillment and satisfaction. And the last pronouncement of God from the throne is that he's already doing this. He says, behold, I am making all things new right now because of Jesus's life and ministry. And it especially refers to the fact that even right now on the basis of what Jesus has done for us, that God is recreating men and women and boys and girls into the very image of his son. For 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and part of what God is bringing into being. And God's words are always trustworthy and true, he says, because God and also the lamb are both described as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'm before all things and after all things. I'm in control and in charge. And therefore, it's so sure he can look at us and say, it's done. It's already done. It's a fact. It's reality. And so how do you and me become a part of this? What do we do? Well, God goes on to say, from his throne to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And what's required of you today to enter into all this that the son came to accomplish? Well, all that's required of you is your thirst. Is that you would be thirsty for it. That there would be a longing and an ache for this, a desire for this that takes your heart. And we're always seeking to quench our thirst We're created with a thirst that would be quenched. We could set ourselves to quenching our thirst according to the sin list of verse eight, but these are all dry wells and we know that. These pull us from God, chain us to self, and bind us to a passing world. But we're designed for the glory of this vision. Each of us has eternity in our hearts craving this and nothing else will satisfy. So God declares, quench your thirst in me and what I'm doing for you because of what my son accomplished on your behalf. He urges us to drink from the spring of living water without payment. In fact, Jesus says, that's why I I came. I came to give you living water. It's free of charge. Well, how can it be free of charge except that Jesus came to pay the cost of our sin at the cross such that he could proclaim it is finished or in the words of our passage, it's done, it's already done. And so Isaiah 55, come to me all you who are thirsty and you who have no money, come buy and eat. 
come buy wine and milk without money and without cost because the son has purchased it on our behalf. And so we conquer, our passage says, to him who conquers. And how do we conquer? It's, it's a different way of conquering because you and I know we have the list, the sin list of, of verse eight is ours. We've sought to quench our thirst in other ways. What conquering is, is would you take your sin list and give it to your gracious savior? Would you believe upon me that I've paid your price, that I'm opening up a new world for you, and would you quench your thirst in me? And God promises that as we live a life of faith and repentance like that, receiving a gift granted by the Son that will inherit all this. And blessing of blessings is that God applies to us what he says to his only beloved Son. When he said to his Son, I, oh the, when he said about Messiah, I will be his God and he will be my son, that in Christ, God would look at you and say, I will be your God and you will be my son and you will be my daughter because that's what my beloved came to accomplish for you and to bring you here what I'm recreating and to live with me and me to live with you. And that's what it's all about. And that's how wonderful our savior is. Amen.